Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Martin. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are, uh, we're starting a brand new series today entitled Alive and Well. And for the next two months, uh, we're actually going to systematically kind of go through uh, the book of James. And before we get into anything, let me just tell you the premise of, of the entire series. It's, it's very, very simple, uh, and it's this. We want your faith in Jesus Christ to be alive and well. Uh, we don't want you to possess a dead faith. Uh, we don't want you to have a false faith. We don't want you to have a dormant faith. We don't want your faith to be on life support, like just hanging on by a thread. Rather, uh, we want, and, and I believe God wants, our faith to be alive and well, uh, to flourish and to produce fruit, no matter what life throws our way. And so our cornerstone verse for this entire series is in chapter 2, verse 26, where James says this, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And, and I, I want your faith in Christ to be in full bloom when times are good and when times are bad. And so today we'll be in James chapter 1, uh, and we're going to talk about trials and suffering because I've learned in 20 years of ministry that nothing can derail a person's faith quicker uh, than going through periods of intense trials uh, or sufferings. Many people, and, and you may be in that category, I believe, have been falsely taught that if you give your life to God... He's not going to let you go through trials. He's going to protect you. You're never going to have any problems uh, in your life if you're a Christian. Uh, friends, I, I, it, I don't know what your background in church is, but I'm just here to tell you that's not biblical at all. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Jesus would tell us in John 16, he would make this promise, in this world, you are going to have troubles. You're going to have trials. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. Peter talks about the doctrine of suffering in his epistle, the, the book of 1 Peter. And if you've done any reading on the epistles of Paul, the letters that Paul wrote, you know that he explicitly shares all of his suffering, all of his trials with us, the readers. And so with that in mind, uh, I, I want to talk to you this morning about turning your trials into triumphs, uh, because a good sign that your faith is alive and well is how you and I act or react to the trials of life uh, when they come our way. So with that in mind, let, let's begin first by talking about donuts. Um, Dunkin' Donuts is my favorite coffee in the world, but if I want a, a donut, I'm, I want Krispy Kreme. I, I think they, they make the best donuts in the world, and, and perhaps you've been in or around, or maybe you've even lived around a Krispy Kreme, uh, and you've seen that red sign come on. 
the hot now sign, uh, you know it's time to go to Krispy Kreme because you're going to get the freshest donuts possible. Uh, you know, people will line up and wait to purchase these sweet donuts from heaven. Uh, so uh, let me just tell you or share with you real quickly uh, the process that a Krispy Kreme donut has to go through to become a Krispy Kreme donut. Uh, it starts with these little balls of dough, uh, and then they have this very, very hot air shot. It's a piercing blast of air that's shot right through the dough uh, that creates the donut hole. Uh, then they go into a proof box where they ride up and down an elevator in an atmosphere of, hu of heat and humidity. Uh, this causes the dough to proof. It causes it to rise. Well, after this, they're dropped into a vat of hot oil, and they're boiled thoroughly. After surviving this ordeal, the donuts pass through a cascade of uh, a waterfall of, of delicious icing. Uh, and then they're put up for sale, and we consume them. You know, I think maybe some of you walked in here today, and perhaps you feel like a Krispy Kreme donut. Like, you feel like your life has been blasted with hot air. I mean, you have gone through the, the fire. Uh, you might have felt like or feel like you've been boiled in oil, that you're scorched down to your soul. There's been a lot of trial and a lot of suffering in your life. Well, we have to remember that these experiences precede the sweet delight that follows. None of us, in, including and especially me, look forward to trials in our life. None of us love hardships, but without them, we would never enjoy the sweet fruit of maturity. So that's what I want to talk to you about today as we begin this series in the book of James, about turning your trials into triumphs, about developing a different vantage point, about seeing hard times in your life as an opportunity to stretch and grow in your faith about using every minute of your life, both the good times and the bad times, to learn and to live and to seize the day. I have never been a fan of school, uh, particularly elementary school. I, I, I did not like school. And so uh, the net result of that is I lived for the weekends. Like Monday through Friday, that was just days of trial and suffering for me. I tolerated them to, to get to the weekends. So the net result is that I spent much of my childhood wishing my life away because the weekends for me were staying up late on Friday, watching cartoons on Saturday. You have to remember, we didn't have a cartoon network. We got to watch cartoons one day a week. That was Saturday morning. And playing football on Sunday. But as much fun as the weekends were for me, when I look back, I see that I actually grew more during the week, during school, doing homework and chores, going to the doctor and the dentist. Many people live their whole lives this way. Their lives are watermarked only by the good times. And so during periods of trial and tribulation, they just kind of grin and bear it until Friday gets here. Uh, they wish to always stay on the mountaintop. And it's nice up on the mountain. It's relaxing. There's a nice mountain breeze. The, the, there's a great view. But we can't always stay on the mountain. It was Billy Graham who coined the phrase this, quote, 
Mountaintops are for views and inspirations, but fruit is grown in the valley. End of quote. Okay, so James, in the very first chapter of his letter, is going to start not on the mountaintop, but he's going to start talking about a faith that's alive and well down in the valley. In verse 1, he introduces himself uh, as James, a servant of Jesus Christ, and he addresses his, his uh, readers, uh, the, the uh, Christians scattered uh, throughout um, uh, the, the Jewish nation. And in verse 2, he gets right down to it. He, he is going to tell us how we can keep our faith alive and well when trials come our way. And it involves three things. A joyful attitude, an understanding mind, and a believing heart. And let me just say this again. I think there are, are, there are few things that will damage your faith more than trials. When, when bad things happen to good people. So let's talk about how to keep our faith alive and well in the midst of trials. Uh, the first thing that we need to, to do or the first thing that we need to possess is a joyful attitude. Uh, look at James 1-2. After he introduces himself, he starts out this way. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let me just say this in passing. Uh, the word picture here when it says various trials, think about, just think about a, a, a big blank canvas that you start putting polka dots on. Big polka dots, little polka dots, medium-sized polka dots. All right, and this is what James is saying, that you're going to face trials in your life of, of various um, kinds. You're going to have some small trials and you're going to have some big trials, right? So your air conditioner is going to break in June. That's going to be a small trial. You're, you're going to have car trouble. Um, if you have kids and if you have siblings, they're going to fight. They're going to get on your last nerve. Um, you're going to get into it with your spouse. Um, somebody at school may say something to you, um, that, that, you know, that's mean-spirited. You're going to have some of these small trials, but you're also going to have some, some very big trials. Death of a loved one. Illness. Divorce. Financial ruin. So various trials. We're all going to have different polka-dotted trials of, of various sizes and kinds. But I want you to notice the wording here in, in, in the verse. James uses the word when, not if. James doesn't say, count it all joy, my brothers, if you meet trials. But he says, when you meet trials. And so this should eliminate some guesswork here, yeah? This erases the idea of, well, I'll never get hurt, I'll never be sad, I'll never face financial stress, I'll never have relationship problems, my loved ones will never die, I, I will never have to worry about sitting across the desk from a doctor where he or she says, hey, I'm sorry, but it's cancer and it's terminal. Uh, James doesn't say, if you have trouble, here's the backup plan. James says, when you have trouble. So when trials come, when there are problems, when there is death, when there is sickness, when there is divorce, when there is financial ruin, when there are 
plane crashes, when there are school shootings, when there are tornadoes, when there is war, when there are times the world seems to be falling apart around you, when there's fear, when there's depression, when there's division, when there's complication. And the word when soberly reminds us that trials are always just around the corner. We don't know when they're coming, but we know they are coming. As Stephen J. Cole says on this passage, he says this, quote, James did not, does not say if you encounter various trials, but when. It's not an elective, it's a required course in the school of faith, end of quote. So, so trials, when they come, should not surprise us. You know, I, I've been in ministry for a long time, and I've seen Christians uh, face trials, w w just come out refined and brilliant, but I've seen other people destroyed, almost like caught way off guard that, that trials and suffering came to, to them. We're, we're told this in the Word of God, that they're going to come, and we're told not to be surprised when these things come. Listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter 4, 12. Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Uh, many Christians naively think that if you obey the Lord, that you'll be spared from any trials. When trials hit them, they're confused, and they're often angry at God. I was following you. Why did you let this happen to me? You ever caught yourself saying that? Like, I did so much for you last week. I went to church. I even tried small group out. I even bought some homeless guy some food. And now you're letting this happen to me? So when they're coming, James says to count it joy. Now, I don't know about you, but when trials come my way, I don't always consider that joy. It's hard for me to count it joy, right? That's, that's kind of foreign to us, right? You got fired from your job. Yay! Joy! Your spouse maybe cheats on you. Happy, happy, joy, joy. The doctor says it's terminal. Oh, I'm so excited. I mean, it's, it's kind of foreign to us. What's interesting here is the word count in the text here is, uh, in the Greek, is a financial term. It means to reevaluate. The Apostle Paul uses this same word over and over again in the book of Philippians chapter 3. And Paul gives this story, but when he became a Christian, he evaluated his life. He set new goals and priorities. And the things that were once important to him are now refuse, garbage, in the light of his experience with Jesus Christ. And so when we face trials of life, we must count. We have to evaluate them in the light of what God is doing in our lives. M many of you are probably not familiar with the name Luther Bridgers. Uh, but Luther Bridgers was this great Methodist pastor and evangelist of yesteryear. In the spring of 1910, Bridgers left his home to conduct uh, revival meetings in several towns over. He, he looked back over his shoulder and he saw his wife standing at the gate holding his baby boy in her arms and two other little boys at her side. They were all blowing kisses to their daddy as he headed for his train. Well, two weeks went by and after the last meeting, 
on Dr. Bridger's schedule, he went to his motel room to sleep. However, he was awakened by a phone call at 1 a.m. in the morning. Is this Mr. Bridger's, asked the police officer on the other end. He replied that it was. And the officer said, well, I don't know how to tell you this, sir, but I'm sorry to tell you that your house caught on fire tonight and your wife and children have burned to death. The zealous preacher was taken aback. He stood there in shattered silence holding the receiver. He said it seemed that the devil was laughing at him saying, God doesn't love you. How are you going to worship a God like that? But Dr. Bridgers dropped to his knees and he began to pray earnestly. Here's what he prayed. Lord, I have preached the gospel to other people and told them it would comfort them in every hour of sorrow. Grant this same gospel that may comfort me. And the Lord answered his prayer. Not only did God answer his prayer, but through that painful experience, Dr. Bridger's faith was renewed and strengthened stronger than it was before. And so much so that he sat down and he penned words to a, a beloved hymn that many, you, many of you have sang over the years. The hymn goes like this, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. You see, trouble and trials kind of act as the chisel for which God uses to sculpt us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He uses our adversity to renew and strengthen our faith because he wants us to know, love, and trust him more. Count it joy when you face trials. That, that's hard, man. I mean, that is hard, trusting that God knows what he's doing and he's going to work all things out for, for good. That is really hard, especially if you're type A control freak. That is hard to let that go. Uh, let me just say this, and, and I'll move on to our second point. Uh, Warren Wearsby says this uh, about life. Outlook determines outcome. Your outlook on life is going to determine your outcome on life. And so to end a faith walk, a, a, a life well served with joy... It has to begin with an attitude of joy. So how do we keep our faith alive and well in the midst of trials? We, first of all, we have a, a joyful attitude. Number two, we have to develop an understanding mind. An understanding mind. We have to be aware of what's going on and why it's going on around us. Look at verse 3 of the text. James says, For you know. For you understand, for, for your mind understands this, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some of your translations are going to say perseverance. And so what James is saying here is this. When, when life gets rough, this is a time for, for you and I to understand that God is allowing our patience to grow. Uh, you see a person who's mature in Christ, they know uh, a faith that is going to be tested over and over again, and they live to tell about it. They understand that testing works for us, not against us, that God will allow all of us to be tried and tested. Um, the word for testing here is another interesting word in the Greek. It paints this picture of a young bird who is trying to test their wings. It means to prove whether or not something is real. 
including our faith. Or to try and see whether or not something is ready to perform the function for which it was made. And here we learn something. That trials and testing prove the genuineness of our faith. When, when you went through school, or if you're in school now, you, you know that you're given tests. And the purpose of a test is to measure the strength of your knowledge or to test the weakness of your knowledge. And likewise, a, a trial uh, tests either the fortitude of our faith or the frailty of our faith. H- have you ever noticed <clears throat> um, how often... Uh, so, so often people will go through trial or trouble, and the first thing that they do, instead of drawing near to God and drawing near to His church, is they just drop out of church. You ever notice that? They, they just, it, it gets hard, and they just drop out. They just, they just stay away. I heard about a man who dropped out of church, and, and one day uh, he was out shopping, and he saw his pastor Uh, on the street, and he began to relate to his pastor all the tragedies and all the troubles that had come into his life. And he said, Pastor, it was enough to make me lose my religion. Well, after a quick thinking pause, the pastor looked at him and said, Son, it should have been enough to make you use your religion. Proverbs 24.10 says this, If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Every trial is a test that's made up of two questions. So think about this. When when something comes your way, when you have a trying season of life, there are two questions that I believe God's asking you through that trial. Question number one is simply this. Do you trust me? And question number two is, how much do you trust me? For you know, James 1.3, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When I was 29 years old, I went on this mission trip that changed my life. And listen, I know that's a cliche, right? Oh, it changed my life. Uh, But I'm telling you, it absolutely changed my life. I was in full Jonah mode, running from God, didn't want to be part of uh, of ministry, barely wanted to be part of of the church, to be honest with you. And and so I, I was having this Jonah moment, but I went on this mission trip and most of it was due to this Ukrainian pastor, uh, a man named Peter. Uh, he was kind of an old school pastor in the Ukraine. They, there's a shortage there. And so he was like a circuit rider pastor, like the old Methodist circuit riders, where he had like 12 villages, 12 churches, and he would just be on a circuit. They wouldn't see him like every three weeks. And, and, and so I got to watch him work, and, and um, I came there to encourage him and to teach him. <laughs> And he encouraged and he taught me. And he taught me all these, these very profound things. And most of it happened um, in these wheat fields in the Ukraine. If you've ever been to the Ukraine, uh, there's not convenience stores. When you travel, you just stop somewhere uh, on, a, on the side of the road in a wheat field and you use the bathroom or you, you, know, you eat lunch. And we did a lot of driving and a lot of uh, traveling and We were sitting in this wheat field, and one of the most profound things he he taught me during my time there was this. He said, Kevin, I don't understand it. When when you Americans come over here, your preachers and your leaders, and they pray for, for our church, and they pray for the Ukrainian people, they always have the same prayer. 
And the prayer is always, God, please don't let any storms come into the lives of these people. You know, we pray that way, right? Watch over and protect us, guide us, keep us safe. He said, that, that's the only prayer that, that you pray. But we diligently teach our Ukrainian people. They live a life of suffering. They're, they're, most of the villages were like third world countries. They're, they're poor. We don't pray, God, please let, don't let the storms come in my life. But rather we pray this, Father, when the storms come, because we know they're coming, please walk with me and hold my hand through the storm. You know, the, the only way the Lord can develop patience and character in our lives is to expand our faith. And he expands our faith through letting us endure trials and tribulations. When, when you exercise your faith and trust in God in the midst of trials, it sets off a chain reaction in your life that can build within your faith, your character, and your strength of nuclear proportions. God wants, a, God wants to produce in us perseverance, a willingness to stand strong, a confidence along the journey of life. You know, a perfect illustration of this is the oyster and the pearl. <clears throat> Did you know that pearls are actually a product of pain? For, for some unknown reason, scientists tell us when the shell of an oyster gets pierced, and an alien substance known as a grain of sand gets inside of the oyster, immediately the sensitive body of the oyster goes to work, releasing these healing fluids that would other, otherwise have remained dormant. And the irritant is covered, and the wound is healed in an oyster by a pearl. No other jewel has such a fascinating history. It is the symbol of stress. A healed wound, a precious tiny jewel conceived through irritation, born of adversity and nursed by adjustments. You know, it's no wonder our heavenly home has an entrance made of pearly gates. You ever think about that? It's not just Peter there and all the bad jokes we make about Peter standing at the pearly gates, but heaven is, you walk in through pearly gates. People who go through those gates are the ones who have been wounded, bruised, battered in this life, but have responded to the sting of trials with the pearl of perseverance. And so we have a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, but none of it matters if it doesn't spring from point number three, a believing heart. A believing heart. Look at verses five through eight. James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, now I want you to think about this just for a second. This is in the context of enduring trials. Okay, this is, he hasn't broke off and gone on another thought. We're still in this same thought. So you're going through trials. You don't know why you're going through trials. You're trying to have a joyful attitude. Your mind understands that trials are coming, but here's what's next. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's what we ask, right, in trials, Why? Why are you letting this happen? Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
For that person will not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I I love verse 6 because James says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting. This is a picture of a believing heart. I also find verse 5 interesting, remembering the context, James James talking about trials. What do we do when trials come our way? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Now stop for a minute and think about this. Why should we ask for wisdom when we're going through trials, when we're going through suffering? Why not ask for strength? Why not ask for grace? Why not ask for deliverance? We ask God for wisdom that springs from a believing heart so we will not waste the opportunities God is giving us to mature in our faith. Wisdom helps us to understand to use these circumstances for our good and for God's glory. Uh, Warren W. Wearsby, who's a, a personal hero of mine, tells this story when he was a pastor. He says a lady in his church was going through some great trials. She'd had a stroke and recovery was taking a lot longer uh, than she thought it would. Her husband was blind. Life was hard and, and their trials were, were many. Well, Wearsby saw her at church and he, he assured her that he was praying for her. Well, what are you asking God to do, she said. He said that question startled him. It would, it would startle me too. He said, well, I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you was his reply. She said, well, preacher, I appreciate that, but could you pray about one more thing? Pray that I'll have the wisdom to not waste all of this, to not waste these trials, to not waste this teachable moment of what God is doing in my life. Man, she knew the meaning of James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God. So when trials come your way, you know, how much do you ask God, not for delivering, and it's okay to ask God to deliver you. I'm not saying that's, but he's not always going to do that, right? You've lived life long enough to know that. So we ask him for wisdom and understanding. When you're out of answers in your life, do you call on God? It's like a son, maybe who asked his dad, Dad, you know, I'm stuck. What do I do here? I don't know what to do. Well, a good father is going to impart wisdom. And this is the picture we get here. A child asking God for wisdom. How do I handle this, God? How do I endure this? What's the the best path for me to take in my life? To ask with a believing heart that God will answer. To call out to God for wisdom during our trials. I, I want to introduce you to a couple uh, that most everyone in here knows. Um, this is our worship minister, Will Click, uh, and his wife, Diana Click. Now, Will and Diana have been with us for, I think, about 10 years, maybe a, a smidge longer, a smidge shorter, but at least 10 years, I think. And uh, they, they came to us straight out of college. I mean, I want you to think about the month they had. They came here, right, they graduated college, they came here, they interviewed for their first full-time ministry together, uh, we gave them the job, they went home, they got married, 
They went on their honeymoon. They came back from their honeymoon. They packed up everything they owned. They moved to Georgia, and they started a new ministry. I mean, this all happened within like a month-long a month period. And it's very, it, it's abnormal for anyone to last 10 years in their first ministry. It just doesn't happen. And so we've been very blessed to have them minister here at Elevate Christian Church. But they, like all of us, Every single one of us in here have their own personal story of struggle and trials. They were a young couple starting their life together. They moved here. They got settled in. And they wanted to start a family. Will and Diane are both very healthy, strong, young people. But as much as they tried, it just didn't seem to work. And they waited and they prayed. I'm sure they cried and they wondered you know, why isn't this happening? You know, what are we doing wrong? God, God, we just want to start a family. You know, Lindy and I, we, we've been lucky, right? Um, I could breathe on her next month. She's pregnant, okay? So, um, but not everybody is so lucky. And so Will is like my partner in ministry, man, and, and he wasn't so lucky. They tried, and they tried to have a child. And, and let me just say this. Only those of you in here who have lived through that disappointment of not being able to conceive, and, and the doctors don't know why, only you know this pain and the confusion and the disappointment and the doubt that this can cause in a person's life. I personally spent hours in prayer for them. Lindy and I prayed for them together. They went and saw a fertility specialist. Just didn't work. I mean, our elders were praying. We were all just praying for them. And so, again, just for a moment, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine the disappointment they faced month after month after month after month. But man, they were faithful, trusting and believing in their hearts that God knew what was best, that God knew what he was doing. Um, I used to do our staff evaluations. I don't, I don't do them anymore. But when I did staff evaluations around here, um, I, I wanted to know, how's your professional life? You know, how, how are things going? How's your ministry going? What people do you have engaged in your ministry? How's your spiritual life? What are you reading? You know, how's your prayer life? How's your personal life? Uh, and, and that's kind of how I, I, I evaluated our staff. Because to me, it was important not to just be a good minister, but to be a good husband, to be a good wife, to be a good person of, of the community, a good family. And, and so um, I want to read you what Will wrote in, at the end of 2017 when he was go, when they were going through this this, this confusion of we, we may not ever be able to have a child, and, and we don't know why. And then I'm going to read it word for word. And it was asking Will how his personal life is going. Quote, it's been a very difficult three and a half years or so, trying to get pregnant for that long, and Diana being a full-time Ph.D. student really took its toll on us. Not to mention the pain and the confusion we experienced spiritually. But during all that, 
I never stopped praying consistently for God to allow us to start a family. It was during that disciplined praying that God granted me a vision that said, you will have a child. It's coming. Just be patient. And from then on, it was settled in my mind and my heart. And I just knew that it was going to be okay. That security gave me such great faith and allowed me to encourage Diana during all of this, which is even more difficult for her. Now, he wrote that right during the, in the storm, right during the fire. And, and man, what a testimony that was to me then and is to me now. That's what James 1.6 is all about. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. And I'm sure there were times where Will and Diana wondered why. But they just kept asking the Lord in faith in the midst of this trial. And friends, you know that God honors faith, especially faith under fire. Well, on August 8th, 2018... Diana delivered their son, Abel Sebastian Rodriguez Click. Six pounds, seven ounces, 19 inches long. Man, the faith that they displayed during this time was a faith that was alive and well. Here's a picture of them today with Abel. You know, and I think if you were to talk to them after the service, and, and you would ask them, was it worth it? Three and a half years of waiting and pain and, and, and disappointment. I guarantee you, they would say, absolutely. Absolutely it was. All of us have these various trials that we go through in life. And we can let those trials crush us, crush our spirit, suffocate our faith. Or we can say, no, 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 no. I trust God. No matter what comes my way, I stand on the promise of God, Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And friends, you are called according to his purpose. Do not let trials get you down. Maintain a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, and a believing heart. When sufferings come, it's important that we turn to God and not run from God. That we rely on God and not rescind Him. J. Vernon McGee tells a story that I tell all the time through the years. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. It happened when he and some other boys at school got caught skipping school to go fishing. That's a good reason to skip school in my opinion, to go fishing, but I'll leave it there. But the principal called them into the office and he said, boys, I know you skipped school and I'm going to have to paddle every one of you. That's when they used to whip you in school. Might not be a bad idea nowadays. <laughs> McGee said he was petrified. He'd always been a good kid. He'd never gotten paddled at school. And so as he sat there to wait for his turn, an, an older, more experienced boy told him, when he whips you, don't run from him or he'll wear you out. 
when he whips you, as hard as it is, move closer and closer to him. He won't have as much leverage, and it won't hurt as much. McGee said that was some of the best advice he'd ever gotten in his life. I can't help but think this is kind of clumsy, but the same principle applies to the Christian life, yeah? When there's pain, when there's trials, when there's suffering, there's a real temptation to withdraw and run from God, to blame God, to get angry at God. But we know through experience this only intensifies the pain. And as, it, as tough as it is, when we go through these fiery trials, we move closer to God and it hurts less. I know life can get difficult, but scripture tells us this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.